It's Monday, March 28th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman, and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Muzzer. Happy Monday. Howdy. We're back. We are. It is. We've been away. <laughs> the market was closed on Friday. Yes. And we're back. We're refreshed. One of us is tanned. Actually, both of you are tanned. I'm oh, not really? tanned. Really? I was going to say, know. am I tanned? I don't know. You got a little bit anymore. of sun. We'll get Goggle to the time tan. away. We did get a little sun. It we'll, was a... we'll get to the time away. We will dip into the full mailbag. We'll try and figure out what in God's name is happening to Pandora. <laughs> but uh, let's. I feel like uh, it's deja vu all over again because two weeks ago today, on Market Foolery, we talked about Marriott buying Starwood for thirteen point six billion dollars in cash and stock, and we thought Jason Moser that was it. We thought okay, there's been some back and forth because Onbang Insurance in China was also in the bidding, but we thought at the time we're done. No, we're not done because Onbang has come back with <laughs> back. another offer. Thirteen point nine billion. Where are we now? Are it's we, not are we, over, is it? And I think we, we did sort of leave that possibility out there that this could happen. I mean, I think that if you're if you're a Starwood shareholder, which I'm not, um, at this point, with with both deals on the table, I, I would rather go with the Marriott deal, understanding that the the Anbang deal is is a bit more, about three dollars per share more in consideration. Um, to me, I would I would rather go with the Marriott deal, primarily because at the end of the day, investors want to ask themselves: Is is Starwood going to be better off with a company like Marriott, a proven operator in a space where really scale is going to be the ultimate competitive advantage, and and Marriott's obviously got a pretty good track record of doing a doing a good job growing that that company versus going with a consortium of buyers there. Where I mean, Anbang is is I believe an insurance company. They're not the only one involved here. Right. It's, it's Multiple a consortium of, of companies where I don't think anyone in there really has sort of the food and beverage or or, or hotel sort of uh, specialty that that Marriott would have. So I, I I can't help but think that like the the Anbang deal. Why that's more money today? I think they're focused. Probably going to be. They're probably going to be more focused on cutting costs and figure out figuring out ways to to extract as much, you know, as much profits from this as they possibly can. Not that that's a bad thing necessarily. I think in the short run, I think in the longer run, that that probably is is a bit more of a question. Is 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 that really going to grow the Starwood brand, its collection of brands, as well as as they could be grown if. It was part of the Marriott family, and so I think, generally speaking, longer run, this is a company that's better off with Marriott. I would hope, if I'm a Marriott shareholder, which I'm not, that Marriott does not get back in here and try to raise this offer again, because I think at this point the language in the Anbang deal is, "Oh, our deal is superior." Mm-hmm. So I think they're focused more on winning the deal than they are actually of the long term. Uh, success of of the the acquisition, whereas I, I think Marriott would, would probably be the better the better home for these guys. But if you're a Starwood shareholder, Taylor, you, first of all, you're loving this. Sure, hey, you're lo- just like great. Let's going on. <laughs> keep the volleying going back and forth and see if we can up the bid, even if Marriott you know matches the bid or something like that. But what do you think? 
Well, given the one in five year performance of the stock, yeah, you definitely needed a pop. It's underperformed the market. It's underperformed Marriott. It's underperformed several other hotel brands um, for shareholders. And seemingly for good reason. You look at their cash flow from operations down year over year for the past, uh, I believe, three, maybe four years. Um, so there's there's clearly some things not working um, unless they're, they sold off some properties that I'm not aware of to drive those cash flows down a little bit. But um, I, I agree with Jason. Shareholders would probably appreciate a Marriott purchase. Um, and then there's some confusion here in China with Anbang. The, the regulators there say that no more than 15% of total assets of a in Chinese insurance company can be invested in foreign assets. So they already invested six and a half billion in strategic hotels and resorts. So if they push up against that 15%, who knows if this deal is even allowed by Chinese regulators? But that's a whole different issue um, that I don't think Starwood shareholders are really going to completely understand because who really does understand Chinese politics? And I mean, the other thing for investors to think about too is that the the Marriott deal is stock and cash. Mm -hmm. It's it's 0.8 shares of Marriott along with I think $21 in cash. That comes out to around $78 total based on today's share price versus the Anbang deal, which is I think $81 in cash. So again, I think looking at it from from today, hey, you know, burden the hand, right? That's that's probably a lot of people would just immediately gravitate towards the cash. But but I, I also think that you know if you if you want exposure to this to this market, and I think it's reasonable to want exposure to this market. Travel is just a huge market. Um, in the marrying of these two companies, would would be a phenomenal competitive advantage as the largest hotel company in the world. That 0.8 share of Marriott today. In theory, should should be should be uh, considerably worth considerably more in in five years and ten years, and, and you're not going to have to deal necessarily with the tax implications uh, that you would today. Would you would you just go ahead and take the cash? Some shareholders, in particular, might not want Marriott to to succeed here, and that's American Express shareholders, because Starwood is an American Express. Uh, partner, uh, yes. and I think I read it's two percent of overall spend of from American Express cards and four percent of their receivables. So if they jump ship to whichever company, I don't know who Marriott uses, either Mastercard or Visa, but that could be another hit after Costco and JetBlue think, have left American. I think Express. Marriott has a Visa partnership, I okay. believe. <clears throat> One thing I noticed that speaking of American Express, we've talked a lot about American Express, how they lost the Costco deal and and all that and good stuff. Did you well. see that they just tied up with Boxed? Oh, Boxed.com, that. that sort of online competitor that we talk about, uh, mm -hmm. sort of Costco's. Uh, Competition in the mm -hmm. space here going forward, so American it's not as big as as the it doesn't make up for the loss of Costco, but it was just interesting to see American Express tie up with Box.com um, as as maybe a way of forward looking the the way that people may be doing that sort of bulk shopping in the future. I, I, I certainly think that it's going more that way. I mean, I I could think of a few things I'd, I'd rather do less than than go spend a Saturday at a Costco. <laughs> Nothing against Costco, a great business. I just I don't want to go do that. I would right. much rather and have you the spend most of your Saturday there. Sure. <laughs> Shares of Pandora have fallen more than fifty percent over the last six months, and it's not getting better. <laughs> uh, the one of the founders, uh, Tim, or is he the founder? Uh, I I he's, Tim Westergren I he's the is founder, yeah the founder right? of Pandora is coming back. He's taking over as CEO, and Wall Street is so thrilled by this news that the stock is down nine percent today. <laughs> what what is going on here? Because we've we, this is not a news story in terms of founder comes back to take over as CEO, and normally I want to say more than half the time we'll see a stock react favorably mm -hmm. in that regard. 
is it Westergren? Is it just the business in general? Because certainly, when you look at Pandora's user base, which has slowed, and you look at the guidance they came out with recently for 2016, which was pretty weak, I don't want to say this is necessarily about Tim Westergren, although it is happening on the day that he's coming back as CEO. Yeah, I mean, I think this is. I think the biggest problem here is that Westergren's coming back to a situation where, while Pandora initially, when it came to market, was a unique offering, um, it is not unique at all anymore. And and so one of the questions I had gotten was drawing sort of a parallel between Westergren coming back to Pandora versus Dorsey coming back to Twitter. And I think I think that's where with in Twitter's case, I think it's a far more unique property in that um, there's still nothing out there quite like it. And and so I I think that that's a bit different in that you have sort of a founder coming in a little bit a little bit more able to tear down any sort of preconceived notions of what the platform should be and try new things versus Pandora. I mean, they're definitely going to need to try new things, but I don't even know that that really uh, is. All that compelling at this point because you have so much competition in the space. The other thing to think about here is, uh, I mean, there is zero from the consumer side, zero switching costs in, in, a, in a market where really for the company squeezing every nickel they can um, out of the model is crucial. And, and doing this while not forgetting, don't forget that you're, you're spiting the very reason that you exist in the first place, and that is the artists. I mean, it just sounds like if you want to make your living making music, that that was okay forty years ago, but today, man, it just sounds like it's a it's just a very very uh, different different ball game. I think one one reason uh, maybe last month they announced that they were working with Morgan Stanley, maybe trying to seek a buyer. Stock popped a little bit. Now they're bringing back the co-founder as the CEO. Um, maybe investors think that they're going to shy away from seeking a, a buyer because he he quoted saying uh, I am 100% committed to Pandora's growth strategy obviously your new CEO is taking taking the helm again you're going to say something like that but if it's true maybe investors are worried about the overall business model and without a buyer maybe they're they're questioning the longevity of this business I hadn't really thought about the switching cost aspect before uh, but I I think for for people obviously who are subscribing to Pandora, uh, there there may be some affinity there. Certainly, they're giving their money over on a mm-hmm. monthly basis, but it's certainly in terms of the options, and it's I mean the obvious one being Spotify. But then you look at how Apple and Alphabet and others are are looking at streaming music yeah. as one more way to capture audience and market share. Then the fact that Pandora. Does not have anywhere the the deep pockets that some of these other companies have. I think it 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 really does seem like one of those situations where the clock is ticking for them much more so than others, sure. including I would I would say Spotify and to a lesser degree even Amazon. I mean, Amazon decided to go ahead and add streaming uh, a streaming service to to its Prime. Relationship I actually just used that on my Fire TV this weekend for the sure. first time ever. And I, well, I use it on Alexa all the time yeah. just because it's simple. You just Say what you want to hear, and it just it plays it. Um, and it, I mean, yeah, Amazon's going to spend whatever they spend on getting that content, and it's not always really the newest content anyway. But I mean, I think music is kind of one of those things, sort of like beer, in that it's very local, and so I think that you see more and more success uh, in music on the local front. And if you want to be a musician, well, you're going to be a musician, and you're going to if you want to make a living as a musician. 
I think it's far less about getting the big record deal and more about building a following and touring for a living. Uh, so, so for streaming services like this to really get that property doesn't cost all that much. They don't have to make the same sorts of commitments, maybe that that once existed because. 40 years ago distribution was a far different game. I mean, you had you had vinyl, right? <laughs> you had vinyl. Um, <laughs> today, you've got a million different ways you can look at it. A million different ways you can distribute that stuff. So, so then you have to become more unique in your offering and you, I, I I looked at Pandora initially thinking is this worth subscribing to? The one thing I found that which just really was a turnoff was that you couldn't subscribe to Pandora and then pick the song that you wanted to hear. It was basically all just about building channels. So you never really had ultimate control over what you wanted to hear. Now, they may have changed that since then, but to me, I found that to be a very big turnoff in that sometimes you really know what you just want to hear and you still can't get it. Well, that. And you were like, damn it, I want to hear widespread panic. (laughs) It's just luck of the draw. For the next hour. Great example there of a band that decided many, many moons ago to make their living touring. And twenty-five years later, they have they have they have done that. And and it's worth noting, you know, those taper-friendly bands, whether it's widespread Pant, the Grateful Dead, the Black Crows, whatever, they've done far better in in breaking down those walls of distribution and inviting the audiences in to to tape those those shows and, and get them out there to the public. And and now the bands are building really robust websites of their own, offering really crisp soundboard copies of all of these shows that they played. You can buy the soundboard copy for $9, $10, and, and that's just a terrific offering. You don't even have to go through something like a Pandora or a Spotify mm-hmm. at all anymore. MarketFoolery at Fool.com is our email address from Andy Calabas, who asks, I have a question about after-hours trading. What is it? How does it work? Who controls it? Why is there an after-hours? Why don't they just keep the regular market open longer? It feels like cheating. Why is there an after? This is really you know what? cute music. Because I know we need some house music. Because for the, money the never sleeps. Party. Saxophone. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the after-hours market. I think initially, I don't know. It's not. It's not cheating. I think as time goes on, it will get better and better. It will mm-hmm. bring uh, more opportunity in um, for individual investors like us. I think a time ago, it probably. It's much felt, more for institutional. Yeah, and, and before I, I could see where it felt much more like the the, the scales were, were weighted much more in the favor of like the big institutions mm-hmm. because they were just sort of making deals after the after the, the market closed. Um, you know, technology today has, has made it a far different game. Personally, I never execute trades after hours because the liquidity, liquidity is lower. Is you typically deal, yeah. have to match up orders perfectly with with your price and volume, um, and you can really get hurt. If you try to play that after hours game, I mean, some some people find it as an opportunity to sort of get ahead of the headline or whatever like that. But I mean, we're, we we focus more on years as opposed to days. And well, so, and and it seems like more so over the last couple of years. And maybe it's just me, but I I, I feel like I am seeing more examples when we are in the thick of earnings season of. Company comes out with an earnings report after the market closes. The report comes out at 4:15 or 4:30 Eastern time, mm-hmm. and the initial after-hours market reaction is a either a big pop or a big drop. And then 
the conference call happens and the stock starts moving it in the opens other direction. completely differently. Yeah. yeah. I, I wonder if it's algorithms taking control, reading through that press release and then making its own decision based on what it reads versus allowing humans to come in and explain a few things. Um, that, that, that would be my guess right now. But like he said, we're going to be able to get in there more and more as individual investors. But with until liquidity grows, I'm definitely staying on the sidelines because of those big pops and drops that you talked about. Yeah, we've talked about that, I think, a lot as far as where those pops and drops come from. And I think you're right. There are. I'm not blaming it completely on algorithms. No, no, no. But I mean, I think generally speaking, in a in a in a world where everybody's (laughs) focused on just the very next day, as opposed to just the quality of the business and wanting to own it for the next five to ten years, I mean, you care about whether that release um, has any mention of forward guidance, raising, lowering problems, opportunities, whatever it may be, And, and it's not like it's always construed necessarily. The way that we would construe it. I mean, it's it's very often you have a company that just releases this killer quarter, and the stock just tanks, and you're like, what? Maybe you dig a little bit further into the call or something, yeah. and you see, you see a hint there where maybe everything wasn't coming up roses, but it still defies really all logic. Um, sometimes those can, those can present great opportunities as they sort of bleed into the next day and in regular trading hours but generally speaking individual investors i just don't see all that not much of a compelling case to just be involved with after hours in the first place real quick before we wrap up uh, jason you and i were both out last week for a time with yes spring break uh, taylor you were out the week prior just let's just go mm-hmm. around the table real quick what because as much as we enjoy vacations, as much as we try and unplug and turn off our brains a little bit from work, it never gets completely turned <laughs> off. The investing part of our brains is always on, even just a little bit. So, one investing takeaway from your trip? Vail Mountain has pricing power. Not just the mountain <laughs> itself, but all of their brands. Uh, I went to Breckenridge, and thank God my friend out there works for Vail Resort, so got some sweet discounts. <laughs> you got a yeah, because we skied at Breckenridge for, and it were, they were charging a buck sixty, hundred sixty dollars a day. To wow, hit, lift tickets to hit that mountain with Man. a lift ticket, and uh, thank God I got at least fifty percent off through him. Um, wow. And he's gonna send him a full ball cap or something. <laughs> he's gonna get something. That's for darn sure. I, I, he got more than a few beers at the bar from me because Give him of free that. access to market foolery. <laughs> wink, wink, oh, wink, wink. <laughs> um, but the pricing power they continue to snap up regional mountains targeting the Midwest. There's chatter that they might target the East Coast finally um, with with buying a resort out there and then dumping some of their deep-pocketed money into it. Um, but that was my takeaway is that this resort, not only are they dominating winter, but they're starting to spring up with some, some summer sports that you can go access there on their mountains via mountain biking, hiking, um, and a few other things. So, Conferences are a big thing for them now, so I, I like this company at least enough to go dive into it a little bit further. And this, the, the the parent company is Vail Resorts. Mm-hmm. What's ticker the, MTN? MTN. A stock Advisor recommendation. I think Stock Advisor US. I believe, I believe it's on yeah. David's side of the card still. Up Old over forty percent in the last year. Sure. So. Jason, what about you? Um, I, I feel like every time I come back from a trip, it's it's I'm almost like a broken record, but I I always just am impressed with the value that I. Extract from TripAdvisor, and 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 the interesting thing to me was we went down to Charleston for just a couple of quick days, uh, flew down on a Monday, came back on Wednesday, um, Uber from the airport to the hotel, stayed at a Marriott, by the way, um, very lovely place on Meeting Street, but but TripAdvisor, I grew up I grew up there, just right across the bridge in Mount Pleasant, went to school in Charleston. I mean, I, I just I know that place like the back of my hand. 
but this was really the first time I'd ever been there, kind of taking it from the tourist perspective. And so we went to the aquarium. Great aquarium. Um, wonderful aquarium. Thank you, uh, Leah. I'm sure you don't listen to this show, but she picked us right as we walked through the door and gave us a behind the scenes tour of the entire place. To the, took us behind the scenes to the very top of the aquarium. They have the deepest saltwater tank in North America, 42 feet deep. Showed us the in, inside workings of the entire operation. It was super cool. The kids love it. Um, but, but, Approaching it from the from the tourist perspective and just using TripAdvisor to do basic things like ascertain whether a restaurant was going to be worth our time, um, linking to to get Uber from the airport or making a reservation at the restaurant. Uh, it never failed. Like every every time I consult it, it's always spot on, and I feel more and more compelled to offer up my reviews when we finish a trip. And I did that last night. There's some pictures in there. Reviewed about seven or eight things. Um, it's one of those businesses that it is going to fluctuate a good bit. It's going to be volatile because there is a lot of competition out there. But, but I think their instant booking platform has something to it. We booked our hotel through TripAdvisor this time using the instant booking process. Worked out wonderfully. It's one of those businesses where I own shares, and I would feel just fine if the market shut down for the next five years, and I had this one in the portfolio because it's such a big market, and and they have such an irreplaceable. Um, Set of assets there in the content and the pictures and the reviews. There's just a lot of value in that platform, and I think it really breeds a lot of loyalty. You see that TripAdvisor sticker everywhere you go. Places really, really know it. It means a lot to to be ranked there in TripAdvisor. In the last year, it's sold off a little bit. Yeah, it has. And I mean, it's all because they've kind of been making that move to instant booking, which is is hurt profitability in the short run. It's it's ultimately the right move to make because it's going to give them. Uh, you know, less reliance on the click-based advertising. Mm-hmm. Just, it's going to diversify that revenue stream more, bring more uh, transactional sort of nature to the platform, and and they just, I, I'd honestly be surprised if they get snapped up at some point here. I, I feel like there are plenty of businesses out there that would love to love to own it. But wonderful leadership in Stephen Coffer, long-term thinker, excellent brand, great mobile platform. Just a lot of lot of good reasons to really like this one. And I, I the the volatility in this stock doesn't bother me in the least. What about you, Chris? I don't have a particular ticker, but one of the things I was struck by, because uh, my son and I were in uh, L- Luray, Virginia. We were in rural Virginia. We, were, we went to Luray Caverns, which is great, fantastic. And did you get local uh, distilleries while you were in there? Uh, did, did not, <laughs> although we were at one place where, where there was a flyer for, for different things in the areas, and one of them was a distillery. I was like, oh, with a little more planning, <laughs> I could have hit that. Son, come on! This Next is time, this is the part yeah. of the vacation we're not going to tell mom about. No, but 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 I found myself thinking about the restaurant industry because everywhere we ate, it was a local place. Whether it was in Luray or Woodstock, we're we're not talking about big towns here. These are these are small towns in Virginia, and went to local restaurants that were just fantastic, including one that was an Italian place in a strip mall. Okay, now let's let's mull that over for a second. <laughs> it's an Italian restaurant in a strip mall in Woodstock, Virginia. Not necessarily a place that you would think no. is going to have some good, really good food. And I think that for publicly traded restaurants, and I'm not I'm not talking fast food here. I'm thinking more of the fast casual um, or even um, you know some along the lines of Brinker and that kind of thing. I think that uh, to me, it's an example of local establishments really just. Upping their game, from the quality of the food to the quality of the service and that sort of thing, and any outside national chain that wants to come in and compete at the local level, I feel like the bar is higher. It's a situation where we as consumers are the winners, but I do think that for 
restaurant chains that bring high quality, both in terms of service and the food. I think they're they're going to do well. But the bar has been raised, and I think that's a good thing. See, I would tickerize that by saying go to TripAdvisor and review that restaurant because there are going to be a lot of people that want to know that. And word of mouth advertising is yeah. most powerful. Yeah. In, in in a trusted community like TripAdvisor, it's very meaningful. Thanks for being here, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.